0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Um, we are wrapping up our series uh, that we've called Ridiculous Grace. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 8. Um, we're going to be looking at a story. Um, about a gentleman there in Acts chapter eight. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. There's one in the pew rack in front of you. Go to page 912 and you will find Acts eight. And um, and the way that uh, this works is in, in, the pew, in the pew Bibles, there's uh, two columns in each page. And uh, you'll see a big number, a real big, bold number. That is um, a chapter number. And then in between the sentences, you'll see little numbers. That might kinda of be weird for you. But those are actually uh, verses, verse numbers. So we say chapter 8, verse 26, it kind of serves as waypoints for you to navigate your way around the Bible. So um, just wanted to let you know that's a one way um, to help you kind of find your way in, in the Bible. Um, and last week, as Rob talked about um, Ridiculous Grace, he t- told a story that Jesus told about a king, a king who had a subject come to him who owed him a great debt, and this king showed mercy and forgave the debt. And um, and then that that subject went out and um, someone owed him a debt and in really a shocking fashion, even though this guy had 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 received uh, grace and had received mercy and been forgiven a debt, this guy couldn't forgive a debt that was owed to him. And it was a bit of a shocker. And as, as we talk about grace, we understand that we have been we have been lavished with grace. We have been lavished with forgiveness. So it only makes sense that when it comes to people who've offended us or hurt us or wounded us, that we would pass on that lavish grace as well. And Rob gave us a slide, I want to put it back up here, kind of some steps that you can walk through. And I want you to just take a look at this, because there's some just really practical ways that you can be uh, just processing forgiveness. And if you didn't have a chance to hear the talk, I encourage you to uh, go to our live stream page or go to our media page and listen to the podcast and just kind of just hear the different ways that you can process forgiveness in your life. But in this story, Acts chapter 8, what you're going to see, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see God rearranging the, the, the chess pieces on the board, so to speak, to make sure that someone encounters his ridiculous grace. Now, why would he do it? It's, it's pretty mysterious and, um, and it's as mysterious as why he arranged the chess pieces on the board for you and I to receive ridiculous grace. But in, in this story, what you're going to see is how God is going to just line everything up so this person who is hungry to hear about who God is can hear. And uh, we're going to zero in on that by looking at this guy in, in Acts 8, he's a... Uh, he would, never, he would never appear on People Magazine's you know, most, the sexiest men alive kind of issue that they do uh, because he's actually sexually disabled which, uh, because he's called a eunuch, which in our day, you know, people don't sort of announce that kind of stuff, but in, it'll make sense here because there's a reason why um, he's referred to a, as, as a eunuch and why it's important in this story. But let me just read Acts chapter eight, verse 26. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of, of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This is God's holy word. So God is rearranging the pieces, the chess pieces on the board so that someone can encounter his ridiculous grace, and he's going to do it for this Ethiopian eunuch. This is a man, he is a, he's a eunuch, and here's why that would have been common in those days, because if, if you had any kind of governmental position, if you had any kind of diplomatic role in a government, in most cases, it's going to be involved with a monarchy or royalty, and so what was common practice in those days is that if you had that high position, in order to protect the royal bloodline of that particular country, it was common practice for men um, to go through the process of castration, to become a, a eunuch. And aren't you glad we're talking about that in church today? Uh, that, so he's a eunuch. And that, the, 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 pure, the pure motive behind that is simply to protect the royal bloodline, to keep it pure. So here's a guy who's gone through that, that process and he has high position. He has status in a country, in the country of Ethiopia. So he is recognized as, as someone who has authority in that country and with that position will come wealth. He's gonna have comforts in life. He's not gonna have a family, he's not gonna have children which, which was the, the common way of seeing a blessed life in that day, he's not gonna have that blessing but he's gonna have the blessing of wealth, and that's gonna be accompanied with his status. And Ethiopia has its, own, has its own religious system, its own expression of spirituality, so what's interesting about this story is you have a man who's got high position, high status, he's respected, and he's got high levels of income, meaning he can have anything he wants, and he's living in a country that has its own spiritual system, but for some reason, There's this inner emptiness in his heart. There's this longing in his heart for something more. That may be you. You may have high position. You may have um, uh, high wealth. You may have one or the other. And you also may have this inner longing. There's got to be something more. That's exactly what's happening with this Ethiopian eunuch. He was longing for something more, so much so that we can surmise that this was going on, that he makes a 1,000-mile journey from his homeland to Jerusalem, the epicenter of spiritual activity. He's going up there because there's this spiritual longing in his heart, even though he's got high position and high level of, of, of wealth and his own religious system in his country. Now, here's the fascinating thing. It's it's very likely that when he went to Jerusalem, that when he got there, what he encountered was a great disappointment. Here's why. First of all, he's a Gentile. And we don't know if he knew this ahead of time, but in, in Jerusalem, how worship happened in, 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 uh, in, in Judaism is that you have this, these concentric circles, and each concentric circle actually is, is a place of access. And if you're a Jewish male or a priest, you've got the most access. If you're a Jewish female, then you've got some access. But if you're a Gentile, you have very limited access you just get on the, the perimeter of the temple. You don't even get, get into where the action is taking place, where sacrifices are happening and, and uh, the priestly activity is happening. You're just out in, you're out in that area where remember the story where Jesus clears out the marketplace, he drives out animals? That would have been the place where the Gentiles had come to worship, which is why he was ticked off. Because that's that's where that's where the, the nations could come. So he would have come, he would experience limited access. And in fact, he may not even have the privilege of being in the outer courtyard. The reason I would say that is because Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 says that a eunuch is not allowed in the temple. So here's a guy, high position, high level of income, deep spiritual longing, makes a 1,000 mile trip to Jerusalem, and it's very likely that he was turned away. And it's also very likely that in his disappointment, someone turned him away from the temple and turned him toward the bookstore. Because he's got a scroll for the book of Isaiah. Meaning, hey, you can't come in here because you're a Gentile and you're a eunuch. We this is how we know that you're 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 a diplomatic position, so we can assume you're a eunuch. But here's the one thing you can do: you can you can read. You can read about this, so he's probably bought a scroll, he's had a disappointing trip, and he's going back to Ethiopia, and he's trying to make heads and tails of this book called Isaiah, the same book that's in in your Bibles today. He's trying to figure it out, and it's not making any sense. And so here's this guy with deep spiritual longing, he's going back to Ethiopia, and here's what God does. God is rearranging the chess pieces on the table, and he's going to make it possible for God's ridiculous grace to be experienced by this Ethiopian eunuch. Why? It's a mystery. As mysterious, it's as mysterious as ridiculous grace coming your way and, and my way. And what God does is he taps on the shoulder, he taps on the shoulder of a trusted Christ follower and asks him to be a courier of grace. Now. If you've ever been to a large city and you've ever seen um, uh, these bicycle messengers, here's a video, this is actually from New York City. This used to be pretty common um, practice back in the day, but you'd give a bike messenger you know, documents, this happened a lot before email, um, and, and these couriers, they'll, they'll take the message, some of you are getting motion sickness right now, it's okay, turn it away from the screen, but with a sense of urgency and a sense of not valuing their life, they will do stuff like that, go through intersections uh, in order to deliver a very important document. God taps on the shoulder of a trusted Christ follower and asks him to be a courier of grace and it says right here in verses 26 and 27, beginning of 27, it says, so he started out. I I wish I was more like this guy, no hesitation. Tap on the shoulder, go down the, the, the desert road hey, good things are happening in Samaria. There's actually revival happening in Samaria. Philip, I want you to leave that and I want you to go down the desert road. I wish I was more like this guy because when God taps me on the shoulder, I want to know, okay, so why? Who am I supposed to speak to? What's this about? Give me all the details, God. I'm, I'm, I really want to know this stuff. And Philip doesn't do any of that. He just, he just starts out. I wish I was more like this guy and he gets down by the desert road, and he's standing there, and and it appears that there's no one there, and, and perhaps he's on the desert road, and he's looking kind of up, he's looking north towards Jerusalem, and this cloud of dust, is on the horizon and he sees this cloud of dust becoming bigger and it's, there's this carriage coming to him and it becomes obvious that this is a, a person of nobility. This is, this is obvious that as he gets a look at this Ethiopian eunuch that this is a person with, uh, with a, a, a distinct international look to them and as they come closer the, the Holy Spirit taps Philip on the shoulder again and says, walk beside the carriage. Has God ever asked you to do something that's just a little bit awkward? Like, okay, that's not creepy at all. I'm just gonna walk along someone's car or carriage. And so there's Philip walking alongside the carriage and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And I think this is where Philip's heart leaps because the puzzle pieces are coming together. God's asked me to make a 20-mile journey for where I'm at to a desert road to come be prepared for I don't know what, And he tells me to walk beside this carriage and I walk beside the carriage and I hear this guy reading from from the scroll of Isaiah and I think Philip gets it and goes, that's why you brought me here, God. Because you want your ridiculous, your disturbing grace to be experienced by this this man. This man is reading the scroll and Philip asks a really good question. This is, when you're starting a spiritual conversation, one one of the most profound things you can do is just ask a question. So he asks the question, hey, do you understand what you're reading there? And the Ethiopian eunuch goes, not a lick of it. I can't make heads or tails of this. Your Bible doesn't say that, but it's kind of how it, tr- how it translates out, right? <laughs> someone's got someone's to teach me this because I can't make any sense of this. And he, the Ethiopian eunuch urges him to get into the carriage. Notice the spiritual hunger. He urges him, get, get in. you've got to explain this to me. And so here he is, he's reading, he's reading the, 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 the sample we have here in Acts chapter eight is from Isaiah chapter 53. It's in a section of the book of Isaiah on an, an unnamed servant. There's a shift that takes place in chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah where he starts talking about this unnamed servant and um, he's reading verses like this, he'll read a verse that he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. Huh. Interesting. Someone is wounded for other people's wrongdoings. And then he'll read another verse, like this one right here. He was beaten so we could be made whole. Okay, let me get this straight. Someone was wounded for other people's wrongdoings. Someone gets roughed up so that someone else can be made whole. Well, that's interesting. Another verse he'll read in chapter 53. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Okay, so someone gets wounded for other people's wrongdoings. Um, someone gets roughed up so someone can be made whole. Somebody bears something, somebody bore something for somebody else. And then he'll read something like this. Uh, the next one says he's, he was whipped so we could be healed. Someone, someone is wounded for other people's wrongdoings. Someone gets roughed up for, to make someone else whole. Uh, A third one there, someone bears something for somebody else. Someone gets beat up so that there can be healing for someone else. Now, what in the world is going on there? And he asks the question, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And what Philip does is he takes that question and he explains to him the good news of Jesus Christ right from that very chapter, from Isaiah chapter 53, and if you have the time later on today, I'd encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 53 because it's an amazing passage of, of the suffering servant, the Messiah. It just talks about Jesus' crucifixion 700 years before it actually happens. But, but Philip explains the gospel to him and we don't know how he explained the gospel to him. He just made it just painfully clear to him. And, uh, and, and you and I get that privilege as well. And if you've been around this place, you've, you've heard me talk about different illustrations to explain what Jesus has done for us. And one of the, those pictures I often share is this idea of a, a, a morality ladder. Um, and I, I didn't think this up, I borrowed this from somebody else, but this, this idea of that there's ultimate goodness, and ultimate goodness and, and holiness and pure grace is represented in God. He's at the top of the ladder. We tend to think vertically when we picture God and ultimate evil, Satan. Ultimate wickedness represented in the person, Satan. And so what we, we, tend to, we tend to do, is we tend to peg one another on this morality ladder. And what I often ask is, I'll write this on a napkin or a piece of paper and I'll say to somebody, okay, so you got God and you got Satan. Who's somebody that lived a great life? Uh, someone you say, that this was a very good person. And most often, I would say, 99% of the time, I hear the names Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. And then I ask, who, who represents like pure evil? Who's someone who's alive now or from history that you would say is that's a very evil, wicked person? 99% of the time, what people say is Adolf Hitler. So we put them on the, on the morality ladder. Adolf is just, just a notch above Satan. Mother Teresa, she's pretty close to God. And then I say, you know, I'm a pastor and, um, and I know that I'm no Mother Teresa. Trina, my wife could verify that for you. And so I'm going to put myself here, and um, then I give them the pen, and I say, okay, where are you going to put yourself on the morality ladder? And typically what they realize is, well, you're a pastor, so I can't notch myself above you, so I'll just kind of put myself under you. But really, here's the deal. It doesn't matter where you're at on this ladder, because it doesn't matter if you're Hitler or Mother Teresa, um, there's, there's a gap between where you are and where God is. So it doesn't matter where you put yourself on that ladder, the question is, what are you gonna do with the distance between where you are and where God is? Because God's word says, in Romans three twenty three, everybody falls short of God's glorious standard. Everyone doesn't measure up. In fact, friends, whether you're in the room here or watching the live stream, we don't even measure up to our own standards. So it's not a shock that we don't measure up to God's standards, and then, You get reading farther and it says that that there's consequences for that, that gap between where you are and where God is. And this is why God sent his son. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make up the difference between where we are at and where God is at. And he did that by living the life that we could not live and dying the death that we should have died. He went to the cross as our substitute and anyone who puts their faith in him gets the gap made off, gets the gap made up doesn't matter where you're at on that ladder. ladder. If you feel like you're just a horrible person, or you feel like a pretty good person, we we are all broken people, all people in need. And this is grace, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine captures this so well. It's a commonly known verse. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Friends, a hundred lifetimes would not be enough for you and I to, to produce enough goodness to try and measure up to God. We can't be good enough. It's only in Christ that we can be made pure, we can be made holy, that God would dare to say that we'd be called saints. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Philip is explaining this to this Ethiopian eunuch and it's sinking in. It's sinking in to the point as they're going along the journey, he's explained the gospel, he's talked about the life of Jesus and somewhere in the story, he's talked about baptism because they're going down the road and there's some water on this desert road and the Ethiopian eunuch cries out, hey, 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 there's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized now? I mean, why not now? And actually, the, 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 the eunuch actually orders the carriage to be stopped, and Philip goes down with him into the water. Philip baptizes him, and when, the, when he comes up out of the water, Philip disappears and is taken somewhere north. That's a completely different sermon. And, but the Ethiopian eunuch comes out, and he goes on his way rejoicing. Why? He goes on his way rejoicing because I think that he realizes that God has rearranged the chess pieces on the board so that he could have that hunger in his heart that brought him from Ethiopia on a 1,000-mile journey to Jerusalem. And even in disappointment on his way back, God made it possible for him to encounter ridiculous grace. Now, what's that mean for us? I mean, the, the most obvious thing is just like God tapped Philip in order that the Ethiopian eunuch might come to understand grace, God tapped someone's shoulder so that you and I could experience ridiculous grace. And we need to thank the Philips in our life. There, some of you were born into Christian homes. That was my experience. My parents were missionaries. I had the great gift of, of taking my first breath in a home in which the, the grace and truth of Jesus Christ was lived out, talked about, expressed was a tremendous gift that I that I received, um, and and so I'm I'm very grateful. I'm so grateful that that my parents are Christ followers. Some of you that was your experience as well. But for others, it was somebody who just extended an invitation to come to church. That it was an ext- it was an extension of a of a of an invitation to come to a, re- a recovery meeting, an extension of a, an invitation to, to come to a coffee shop. The desert road experience, so to speak, was a it was a coffee shop or a recovery meeting or it was a conversation in the break room at work or wherever it was. But somebody, God tapped someone on the shoulder and because they were faithful, like Philip, they were a trusted Christ follower who became a courier of grace, you encountered the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to thank those people and especially thank our God for making that possible. The second thing, as most obvious, is we need to be a Philip. We need need to start out without hesitation when God taps us on the shoulder and be ready for God to use us. But here's the third thing that I think we we also need to, 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 in order to be able to process what's happening here, we need to come and be baptized. We we, we need to be baptized. Here's what happens with this gentleman here in Acts chapter eight. He, He doesn't just see the gospel of Jesus Christ He's actually seized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't just understand it. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Isaiah 53, someone was wounded for other people's wrongdoing. Jesus goes to the cross. Yeah, I can see that. He doesn't just understand it. He embraces it. He's seized by it, and he understands it. Now, excuse me. In this text, when he talks about baptism, baptism is a, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. It's a declaration of loyalty. On July 20th, 1985, I made a significant declaration of loyalty when I got married to Trina Holstey my wife. And we exchanged vows on that day and we also exchanged rings. And I, I've been wearing this same ring for over 32 years. And I do a lot of weddings And when I do a wedding, and I take the the ring for the groom or the ring for the bride, and I explain uh, about the ring, one of the things that I say is that when you put this ring on, here's what this ring is saying. It's saying to everyone who sees you and sees this ring, and it says to you in every situation, I am taken. I have made a declaration of loyalty. I have made a proclamation of allegiance to someone. It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment or reality. That's exactly what baptism is. It's an outward declaration of loyalty and allegiance to someone. When someone is baptized, what they are saying is, I am taken. And for some of us in this room, we've been seeing grace, or we've understood grace, or we've been seeing the gospel, or understanding the gospel, and friends, can I just say to you, one of my biggest fears is that you'll see it and understand it, and I don't want us just to see it and understand it, I want us to be seized by it. I want us to, not just understand it, but to be embraced, I want us to embrace the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that we would give the order and say, hey, stop the carriage, there's, there's water, why not now? And friends, we get to do that today. Look, there's water. Why not now? <laughs> some of you, you need to come and be baptized and God is already speaking to you because your, your heart is already starting to sense it. It's beating a little bit faster and God is talking to you and already some thoughts are coming into your, into your head. Let me tell you what a few of them sound like, okay? First one sounds like this. Well, I, see, I was baptized as a baby, so maybe it's not necessary. See, some of you were sprinkled as a child. Your mom and dad took you to a church, had you either baptized or sprinkled as a child. And the reason they did that was that their hope was the trajectory of your life would be a trajectory towards God. And some of you are wondering, well, if I get baptized now, am I in any way dishonoring what, 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 what my parents did when I was a kid? No, not, not at all. Can I just say that your parents, whether they're, they're alive now or not, I think your parents would applaud the day that anyone makes an adult decision to make a declaration saying, I'm taken. I belong to God. There's, the, the Bible doesn't speak anything about infant baptism, and every baptism you read about is about people who, who understand fully the decision that they're making. And I wanna say, maybe you were sprinkled as an infant. And praise God for your parents and that they dedicated you in that way. But there's a day for you also to say, hey, there's water, why not now? And be seized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing he might be saying. I don't feel like I know enough. Well, here's an Ethiopian eunuch who gets one chapter from the Bible and probably 30 minutes of explanation. You just got one chapter from the Bible and about 30 minutes of explanation. You're good. Here's the next thing, all right? Uh, Now, let me just say this. I don't in any way wanna minimize the fact that we wanna know more. Absolutely you wanna know more. But friends, making a declaration of loyalty has nothing to do with how much you know or don't know. If you know that Jesus Christ is your savior and you've given your life to him, you need a why not now moment, a declaration moment. Third thing is I don't like sticking out in public. And friends, I don't think anyone likes sticking out in public. I really don't. But can I just humbly remind us that Jesus went very public with his sacrifice and his offering for our sins. And he went public in front of people who hated him. They insulted him. They mocked him. They spit on him. He was, he was whipped. He was beaten with the rod. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. He hung on a cross for hours to procure procure our salvation. Going public for 30 seconds or so in, in front of some friendlies doesn't seem to compare to what Jesus did for us. Now I'm not trying, I'm not trying to minimize that, that that's a big deal. It, it is a big deal. It, it takes courage and boldness to, to come and be baptized and, and, and to stand out in public like that. But I just wanna remind you of what Jesus did for you in public. The uh, fourth thing that you may be thinking is this, I'm worried about what those closest to me will think. You may be here with a spouse who doesn't know Christ, you don't know Christ, or maybe you do know Christ and you want to be baptized, um, you're wondering what they think. You, you know, you can have that conversation right now. Um, or maybe, maybe someone's at home. You know, you, you could go home and tell someone you've been baptized and tell your story how you were seized by grace. And, and you know, maybe Maybe you need to think this this through before you be baptized, and that's okay. But I just want to say, I don't want us just to see grace. I want us to be seized by it. I don't want us just to understand grace. I want us to embrace it, and one of the practical next steps when that happens is to say, hey, there's some water. Why not now? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue worshiping, and um, if God is speaking to you, and he is speaking to some of you, I'm gonna invite us to come and have a conversation with some people. There are gonna be some people standing over there. Uh, in fact, if you guys who are, are helping out, if you could stand over there. We got, we got uh, Terry and Linda and Rob and Keith and Al and Natalie's over there and, and Andy and uh, Laura's going over there. We got Alex, we got a bunch of people over there. And if God is speaking to you, here's what I want you. And in a few moments, we're all going to stand, and when we stand, you're just going to walk right over, you're going to have a conversation with somebody, and, um, and they're, they're just going to make sure that you've given your life to Christ, and um, then you're going to have the option to, to just grab a baptism shirt and come and be baptized. I'll be in the baptismal tank, and you'll go home wet. <laughs> we got towels. Um, now, if that's, if that's too, that's like, ah, I, I don't know if I can do that. I got good news for you. We have clothes for you. We've, we've actually gone out, we've bought clothes, we've tried to remove every obstacle. We've got, we got shorts, we've got shirts, we've got understuff. Uh, we've got, I mean, if, if, you can, if you can think of anything, any reason why, well, they don't have that, we've got it, okay? We've got it. We've got blow dryers for women, we've got brushes, we've got, we got it all. So here's the deal. If you've been seized by grace and not been baptized and it's not been your decision, I want you to to come and be baptized. Why not now? Why not now? Why not walk out of here today, right before Thanksgiving, and and respond like the Ethiopian eunuch? So I want to invite us all to stand right now we're going to continue worshiping. You can start moving right now because we, we only have so much time. Start moving right now. Come over and have a conversation with these folks who are standing over here and, um, and they're gonna set you up for a baptism. Come on down. Yeah. Now, ready to go guys. Now, here's the deal. You, you might have someone that you're close to, and you're one, I can't see them from where I'm at. Guess what? You can move around. If you can't see from where you're at, stand on the stairs. You can, you can stand up front here. It's going to be hard to see from the back. I'm sorry about that. But you can kind of come find a position that we can move around. That's okay. Um, but let's worship our God and let's just celebrate with each one of those people right now who are making a public declaration I'm taken, taken by Jesus Christ.